share a story about a dinner party. I have lots of people over in my house because I'm very um, lucky, fortunate that I've got a really big long table so I can have lots of people at my house for lunches or for dinners and it's really, really great. And so if you're looking for somewhere to have lunch and would like to hear more about Robin, come to my house. I've got plenty of room. There's plenty of food and it's going to be great. Come and let me know afterwards. But when I host, there's often a little anxiety in me. There's a little panic in me that worries about the potential tension in the room. You know what I'm talking about. I worry, not today, it's going to be fine, but in other settings, I worry that will my family get along with my church friends? Like, will that be difficult? Will there be tensions? You know, will, will the people who, who are drinkers feel okay with the non-drinkers? Will the swearers be okay with the non-swearers? Will the, the people... Will somebody make a comment about vegetarians and there's a vegetarian sitting next to me? Will there be a comment about politics that will have somebody's claw fingers go into the table? I, I stress about the tensions that might happen in those spaces. You know what I'm talking about, right? We've been there. It's not something I've made up. We've been there. So today's topic is this idea of posture. And we want to think about, for those of us who are following Jesus, actually for any of us, all of us, no matter where we stand, what will our posture be in this complicated and conflicted world, in this increasingly complicated and conflicting world, where the mainstream is now many streams? You know, it's complicated in the world. And what will our posture be like? Not this kind of posture, not actual physical posture, but, but posture as in how will we position ourselves. So this is a bit of a diagram that we, we came up with um, as a church a little while ago. I want you to think about it for a moment. Imagine this is my posture. I've got one foot firmly planted in my understanding of loving humanity. Humanity is complicated. The world is complicated and I've got one foot there and I've got the other foot firmly in humility. I know I don't know everything. I know I don't get it all right. So that's my foundation. And then I do this. In, as I manage through the world, I hold my compassion in one hand and my convictions in the other. And today, I'm going to talk about that little section at the top in that pivot, in that fluid, pivoty place where we actually roll backwards and forwards and we have to, um, we have to manage and balance. I'm just, which button do I push to make that go away? That one. One of them. Doesn't one of them make it go away? Anyway, there we go. Nick at the back. Hooray for Nick. So today we're going to talk about a dinner party. Uh, and I'm going to talk about the posture of the three people that we see at the dinner party. So Jesus had been speaking and teaching all over the place. He'd been healing people, he'd been transforming their lives, he'd been reorienting their minds, and he'd been thinking about a lot of different things. And one day, one of the religious leaders, Simon, says, why don't you come to my place for dinner? Now, Jesus had been doing dinner at a lot of different places. Sometimes it went well, sometimes it was a bit complicated, and he was doing a bit of balancing. And the religious leaders were wondering, who is this guy? You know, he has dinner with all sorts of people and they weren't quite sure and they were questioning. So I'm tipping that's why this guy Simon came to invite him for dinner. So I'm looking at Luke 7, 36 to 50, if you want to look it up, but I'm going to tell a bit of the story. So there's Simon, he invites Jesus over for dinner and Jesus arrives 
and comes in and reclines at the table. And then a woman from the town, known as a bad character, discovered that he was there at table in the Pharisee's house. Pharisee means religious leader. She bought an alabaster jar of ointment and then she stood behind Jesus' feet, crying, and began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair. And she kissed his feet. And she anointed them with oil. So let me give you some cultural backgrounds here, some cultural insights. So back in the day, when you invited somebody to your home, it was a um, honour-shame culture. You know, and so a bit like what Robin said before, there were things that you did to honour your guests. So the minimum you did was offer them water to wash their feet because it was dusty and they all wore really cool sandals. So wash your feet first. Secondly, greet them with a kiss. That's what they all did. If you come to my house this afternoon, I'm probably not going to because, you know, weird. Anyway, <laughs> but the third thing was offer them some oil to it, to, you know, to put on their head because, you know, maybe it was like they needed a freshen up. Maybe it was a smell issue. I don't know. But those were the things that you did when you had a guest to your house. The second thing is that other people could have been there. Now, if I invite you to a dinner party at my house, there aren't going to be other people looking in through the window or sort of standing in the back or just hanging about because that's weird. It doesn't happen in our culture. But back then, anyone could kind of wander in and just check out what was going on. So people from the town might have heard, oh, this will be interesting. We'll come and watch what's going on in the centre and we'll stand around the outsides. So that's why this woman's here. She's come to stand around the outside, but she's come kind of with a purpose as well. So the other thing was that they didn't sit up at the table and eat their dinner like we do. They reclined. So there would be a low table and they'd kind of... can't really do it. They'd, they'd like lie down and they'd prop themselves up on one elbow and eat with the other one, okay? So that they were all heads in, feet out. So this makes sense, right, as to why... This woman, standing in the shadows, can find herself at the feet of Jesus. She's not crawling under the table. She's at the reclining feet of Jesus out on the outside of this circle. And she leans in and she lets down her hair, cries on his feet, dries it and anoints with this perfume that she's bought. Now, Simon the Pharisee is sitting here and if I was writing the story, I would have him kind of give a cheeky look to the other people in the room and go, awkward, because it is awkward. It's really awkward what's happening with this woman. Like, they know she is not known for the right reasons. She's known for all the wrong reasons. And, and she's kissing his feet. And she's let her hair down and... Women in that culture only let their hair down on their wedding night for their husband. You know, it's super awkward. The more I think about it, the more I want to kind of look away. It's super awkward and it's super complicated. It's super awkward. Can you imagine it? Can you feel it? The tension in the room? Now, Simon didn't offer Jesus to have his feet washed. 
Simon didn't give Jesus a kiss when he greeted him. Simon didn't, uh, what was the third one? The oil, anoint his head with oil. And everybody probably knew that and everybody probably saw it because it wouldn't have been weird and different for them to have expected that to happen. It would be really weird for it not to have happened. And I think everybody saw that Simon intended not to honour Jesus. And the woman saw this and she was horrified. So she must have encountered Jesus somewhere previous. Okay, so this didn't just come out of nowhere. There was all these other times when she could have encountered Jesus and she would have heard Jesus say, everybody matters. Everybody is included. Everybody is loved. You matter. Your life can be transformed. You get to know God. You get to know what forgiveness is. She would have encountered that. That's why she's here. That's why when she notices that Jesus has been dishonoured, she is aghast. And I wonder if she hadn't come with an intention of anointing his head and then finds herself like, well, if if you're not going to wash his feet, then I will because he deserves to have his feet washed. And if you're not going to greet him with a kiss, then I will because you've got no idea who he is. If you knew who he was, you too would fall at his feet, cry on them, dry them with your hair, anoint them with oil and kiss them. In this story, what is really interesting is what Jesus did not do. What didn't he do? He didn't say, oh, that's enough. Stop that now. It's a bit embarrassing. He didn't say, not now. Why? This is, like, it's not working out well. People are, people are watching. He didn't get embarrassed and have anxiety rise up in him. What, what did he do? He just reclined in the moment. He just sat in the moment. And he didn't panic and he didn't get embarrassed. He was just a non-anxious presence in the space. The other thing Jesus didn't do was say to Simon, I can see I'm not welcome here, I'm out of here, thanks, but no thanks. If you're not going to treat me right, I'm done. Because he could have. Nobody expects to be treated the way Jesus was treated. And if only Simon knew who he was treating that way, Jesus had every right to say, I've got better places to be, thanks, Simon. It's not about you. You've missed the point. I'm out of here. But he didn't. What did he do? He just reclined. He stayed in the moment, a non-anxious presence in the place, going, it's a hot mess, this is. It's crazy. It's tense. But he didn't feel the tension. He didn't panic. Now, what Simon didn't say was awkward. What Simon said, actually, I don't know whether it's in the slide. No, I don't think I put it in the slide. What Simon said was, who even is this guy? If this guy knew who she was that is touching him, he wouldn't let it happen, so I question who he really is. That's what Simon did. If he knew who she really was... He wouldn't have a bar of her. 
and he'd be calling it and he'd be naming it and he'd be solving it. That's what he says. He says it with arms folded, looking down his nose at her, wagging his finger, <coughs> smug look on his face, looking around the room going, who even is this guy? Look at him. Because he's letting her touch him that way. Here's Jesus. There's a woman kissing his feet, crying with her hair down. There's a bloke with his arms folded, looking down his nose, judgment aplenty in his voice and his posture, and here's Jesus. I've got to get my balance. Balancing beautifully in the middle of the ambiguity, holding the tension like a beautifully trained acrobat. He's just in there holding the tension of a really complicated, ambiguous place. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a tension-filled, ambiguous place where it was like, oh, if I, if I lean this way, then that. If I lean this way, then that. And, and just being in that middle space. So as we navigate this complex, complicated, conflicted, increasingly conflicted world that we live in, we are going to have to think about our posture. We're going to think about the stances that we take, the way in which we hold convictions and compassion, the foundations that we put our feet upon. We're going to have to navigate this really well. And if we are followers of Jesus, we're going to have to have a good look at Jesus' posture. And sometimes the situation looks like this. Sometimes the moments we're in, we're like, both are right and both are wrong. And neither answer is sufficient. And it's complicated. So there's three things I want to say. Just three things I want us to think about as we navigate that balancey, wobbly place of managing those ambiguous moments when there's more than one answer or there's no answer or the answer doesn't matter. There's three things I want us to think about. The first one is that proximity does not necessarily equal permission. Jesus being close to that woman at his feet is not by any means given permission for the life that she has lived. He's totally not. He's not at all being permission-giving about the choices that she's made in her previous life. He's just there. He's just there in the moment. And I sometimes wonder if perhaps we've fled from situations because we're nervous that it might look like we're giving permission to values that are different to our own or to circumstances or behaviours. But proximity does not equal permission. The second one is ambiguity does not equal ambivalence. Ambiguity, meaning there could be lots of answers. It's ambiguous. Okay, there's, there's lots of possibilities. It's not clear. Ambiguity does not mean I'm ambivalent about my faith. It does not mean that I don't believe who God is or that he's in control or that Jesus... All of those things. I can still believe all of those things and still sit in a place of it's just not clear because ambiguity does not have to equal ambivalence. 
And the third thing is that the gavel does not always equal grace. That judge gavel where he goes bang, bang and his decision's made, that often is not, it is never the thing that brings grace. It is never the thing that brings welcome and openness for people. But I guess, can you take that one down, Nick? I guess it really depends on what our intention is in the moment. If our intention is to show that we are super clever, holy, righteous, capable, amazing, fabulous, and all people will go, wow, look at that person then absolutely make a decision, draw the line in the sand, bang down the gavel, prove how clever you are and walk away. Good on you. But if your intention is to see if maybe an encounter with Jesus is possible, then maybe we need to sit more in the ambiguity. Maybe we need to stay in the moment. Maybe we need to ask really clever questions. Maybe we need to listen more than speak. Maybe we need to say, it is okay to not be sure of exactly what the answer is. My children, you know, youth ministry, youth pastors over the years, I've often said to them, when someone asks a question, the smartest thing to do is say, what makes you ask that? You know, little boy says, mister, is murder a sin? Is murder wrong? Yes, absolutely it is. Actually, if we say, why do you ask that? Then little Johnny says, well, because someone I know that really matters to me. Oh, that's a different question. You know, maybe we need to learn how to sit in the ambiguity, in the wobbly balance, not panic, ask really good questions and listen well if our intention is that perhaps an encounter with Jesus is possible. And that's hard. And honestly, stretching for an answer has probably been the issue we've grappled with since the beginning of time in Genesis. We want to know all the information and we want to know it all now. We can't know everything and we don't have to know everything. So in this moment of sitting in this ambiguity, tension-filled space, where Jesus finds himself, when everybody in the whole room is holding their breath going, what is going to happen next? They're all holding their breath in the room. What does Jesus do? He tells a parable. He tells a little story that has a meaning for people to chew over. So he turns to Simon and says, I've got something to say. Speak, says Simon. And he says, two people owed a debtor some money. One owed 50 and one owed 100. And neither of them could pay the debtor. So the debtor wipes the debt. And then he says to Simon, who out of the two do you think loved the most? Loved the the person to whom they owed the debt the most? And Simon goes, well, I guess the one who owed the greater amount. And Jesus says, you're right. And the point is, Simon, you have not understood how much you have been forgiven. And if, if you understood that fully, then you would be at my feet with her, lavishing love, tears flowing, and, you know, the love would be flowing. So there's three postures I want us to think about. Will we posture ourselves with arms crossed, 
judgment flowing, looking down our noses, afraid, because actually that's what that posture is. It's afraid. Um, speaking to fill all the gaps, not actually seeing the person, because the very next thing that Jesus did, does in this story, after Simon answers the right answer to the parable, is Jesus says, Do you see this woman? He actually says, do, do you see her? Do you actually see her? Because Simon doesn't. Simon just sees the backstory. Simon sees himself. Simon sees the crowd that he's trying to impress. Simon sees everything but the woman in this situation. And Jesus says, Simon, do you see this woman? And then he play, plays a compare and contrast. He says, you did not even offer to wash my feet, and she has washed my feet with her tears. You did not greet me with a kiss. She has not stopped kissing my feet since I got here. You did not offer oil for my head. She has poured perfume on my feet. And he's doing this compare and contrast. Do we want to posture ourselves like Simon and fill the spaces with our correct answers? Or will we gently sit in the moments of ambiguity, listening for God? What would you have me do here? Who do you want me to be? What questions do you want me to ask? Am I listening closely? Am I seeing the actual person here? Is my intention a relationship and seeing them encounter Jesus, or is my intention just to look clever? Will we sit in the middle, worried about what people are going to assume about us? This message is not a message of try harder, come on, work harder, do more. This is a message of relax, relax. When we are in those moments of tension, when there is no clear answer or there is a clear answer but the people here do not want to or need to hear it right now, they need to hear love and generosity first and then they might ask for our answer. The message here is relax. Don't be afraid. Don't panic. Ask Jesus for help. What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be in the hope that that person, like Robin's lady that she's leading through the street, Robin was not afraid that the whole world would think she condoned that lady's behaviour. Robin was only interested in whether this woman might actually have a connection with Jesus. That has to be our first intention in these situations. Or you may need to consider the posture of the woman. You may need to actually recognise that this life is not a game of keeping up appearances and pretending you're all good. Sometimes what you need to do is have a closer look at how much Jesus has done for you and you might need to actually fall at his feet and cry your eyes out. And I've done that plenty. Because sometimes, even in the space of one minute in that chair down there, I was both Simon and the woman. I, I, I put my head down and I went... I just want to tell people about Jesus. I just want everybody in the room to know how good he is and what he has done. And then the next thought in my head is, who do you think you are? I know all of the crap of you. 
that. I know all of the mess of your life. I know everything. And then I go back to go, yeah, but Jesus is... And, and even in the space of a minute, I'm both postures. And I have to work out how to relax and to stop and to settle and to be just in that place of ambiguity. It's complicated. It's okay. I fear that sometimes our posture... Um, I fear that our posture has been so answers-oriented, so judgment, so fearful, so filling the spaces that people have heard not everyone's welcome at the feet of Jesus. And we have to stop accidentally falling into that posture because everyone is welcome at the feet of Jesus. Everyone is welcome at the feet of Jesus. And I don't ever want my posture or our posture to cause people to hear, you're not welcome. I wonder if, as we sit here today, we might just ponder a few questions. Do you guys want to come up? Some of the questions I want to ask are, which of the three do you relate to the most? Which one are you like, yes, I relate to that, that posture? Or which, which of the three scares you the most? Or which of the three do you feel like God wants you to address the most? You might hear God saying, you need to fall at the feet of Jesus. You just need to recognise that he is king and to do what that woman did when she anointed him as king of heaven and earth and poured out her life and said, you don't know who he is, but I do because of what he's done in my life. I wonder which of the postures you need to address. And I wonder even as you go out into the week when you're eating with people or Zooming with people or cycling with people or whatever whatever working alongside of people what if you were to stop and say what is my posture right now and is my posture creating a possible opportunity for somebody to encounter Jesus because if we're not in the ambiguous places trusting God to guide us and to help us to know when to speak and when to be quiet and when to love and whatever if we're not in those moments how does Jesus be championed in those moments? We need to be in those ambiguous places, having a posture of Jesus.